So that is my number one tip. If there was a place that is going to benefit from climate change in the United States, it's Fredericksburg, Texas. If you don't know Fredericksburg, it's a very affluent area. There's these mega million mansions two miles outside the city, literally $20 million mansions. I mean, nothing sells for $20 million in Texas, right? What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing in Main Street real estate. Today, our guest is Neil Bawa, and I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Our topic today is quite, without exaggeration, one of the most important topics for long-term real estate investors to consider. If you're looking to do real estate acquisitions, properties that you're planning to hold for maybe the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years or more, you need to be thinking about climate change, okay? And this is not just about things that could happen in the future. This is also about stuff that is happening today that is impacting real estate investors just like you right now. And Neil's going to walk you through all of it, right? I'm not going to prove it to you now. Neil is going to tell you about all of that in this interview. This is so important. And, you know, I know there are some folks out there who aren't sold on the science yet. This isn't even about that. This is about the finances around the impact of climate change. And once again, this is not just esoteric stuff that like is in the future that's not happening yet. This is about stuff that's happening today and is going to continue into the future. And I saw Neil talk about this at a conference earlier this year. And I immediately said, Neil, I'd love to have you back on the show to share this message with my audience. And he's got more information beyond this that you can get access to. He's going to tell you about it in the show. And obviously he agreed to come on the show because nobody else is talking about this. I mean, nobody. It's him and a couple of institutions, which again, he's going to tell you about in this interview. So having this knowledge, acting on this knowledge can give you a competitive edge. I mean, over some major institutions that are buying real estate, let alone an advantage against or or compared to other Main Street real estate investors who don't have this information for the future and what the impacts are coming down the road. So important. And you're, we're going to get into it here with Neil. If you're an Apple podcast user and you do enjoy the show, please take a quick second. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps us grow in the Apple podcast ecosystem. It helps us rank higher in their algorithm. It helps other people show that you're learning from the show, right? And it helps me feel good because I get to see that you guys are engaging, you're learning from the content, and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you haven't yet, and you're on whatever your favorite podcast app is, look up the show, hit that subscribe button, that way you'll get every new episode delivered straight to your mobile device, and once again, escape the Wall Street casino along with us. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I'm in my early 30s, and I'm many of you may or may not know this. My background originally is in chemical engineering. I'm very scientifically minded and I'm conscious about the environment. And you know, these changes are coming. It's very, even though some of the message can be, you know, a little scary at times. It's a breath of fresh air in a certain way, because as a real estate investor who understands the the science and what is coming, once you understand that and you start looking at the financial impacts of what is here today and what is coming in the future, then you can start to prepare. And that's why this really resonated with me, because I understand the science. I understand what's coming, Right. On a, on a scientific, you know, level. But financially, I didn't know really where to get started other than maybe, you know, not buy right on a coastline, right? But it goes so, so much further than that. Okay, and Neil's going to tell you all about it. I'm not going to belabor this anymore. I'm so excited to have Neil back on the show. Without any further ado, here we go with Neil Bawa discussing the future of the real estate market as it pertains to climate change that is already here and what is coming in the future. Here we go. 
Neil, thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to, maybe excited is not the right word, but excited to have this discussion with you and bring this information to our listeners about the devastating effect that climate change is going to have on real estate. And you know, I don't even know, honestly, where to get started and, and where to ask you, where should we start? So what do you think? How do we, how do we break into this and start talking about it? Well, yeah, th- thanks for having me back on the show, Taylor. This is a topic that's dear to my heart because, as you said, paraphrasing what you said, people don't even know where to start, right? You know, seems like you've heard about climate change. I think most people at this point have heard about climate change. And, and maybe Taylor believes in its just devastating impact, or maybe he does, right? Maybe you don't believe in it. In fact, there's anecdotal evidence that far more than 50% of the real estate community in the U.S. actually doesn't believe that the climate is changing. Or, or maybe, maybe they think that the climate is actually changing, but that humans don't have anything to do with that change. You know, it just changes over time. Or maybe they think that climate change has nothing to do with real estate and they're real estate people. You know, after all, if it doesn't affect Taylor's daily real estate hustle, then, you know, it's not worth, worth worrying about for Taylor, <laughs> right? That's the thought process. That's what we're thinking. Well, I'm here to tell you that if that's what Taylor's thinking, he's wrong. He's completely wrong because the impact is colossal. And I'm going to prove to you beyond any doubt that if you're buying apartments, if you're developing land, if you're doing any of those things that are connected with real estate in the United States, your livelihood, your profits, your investors' profits are going to be impacted by climate change and not necessarily in a negative sense, probably in a negative sense, but not necessarily. And when I use that word impacted, the truth is that I am sugarcoating the heck out of it because the truth is I'm actually going to make the case that in fact, the impact of climate change on real estate is the greatest of any industry in the world. No other industry in the world is going to be impacted by climate change as much as real estate. Now, if we were an island in the Pacific like Tahiti, I would say tourism would be more impacted by real estate. But the fact is that tourism is only a tiny fraction of the United States. We are a continent not a country, and there's only certain parts of the of the country that are going to be affected from a tourism perspective. So I think it's real estate that comes in at number one, right? So so I mean, get get some pain meds ready, Taylor, because this this is not a walk in the park. This is you know there's so much good news around multifamily and real estate. We've you know if you watch the last one that I did with 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 you, Taylor, there's a lot of good news to share. But it's always important to balance out the good news with some potential bad news. So not a walk in the park, but uh, but if you're ready, I, w- I want to get started with some some stuff I want to throw at you. I love it. I'm I'm I don't know whether I'm I'm truly ready for the the impacts here, but I'm certain re- certainly ready to learn uh, what we can do to I don't know, prepare, know what's going to happen, why. I mean, the why is super well, there's important. There's some strategies. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that, I think there's it. some strategies. So so. In this podcast, the last thing I want to do is to argue or waste any time, your time, my time, arguing that climate change is real. Okay, I'm not going to argue that at all. That's there's a million better podcasts out there, which will which you should be researching when you're talking about whether climate change is real or if it's a, a myth. Right. I'm also not going to be talking about what we should be doing to stop it. I'm not going to talk about whether it represents an ex- existential threat to humanity, right? No, sir. I'm I'm going to tell you why you need to worry regardless of your belief about climate change. So, you know, you you let's say you think it's complete nonsense. I'm going to tell you why it's going to impact your real estate if it's 100% bullshit. Okay? <laughs> okay. Right. So that's 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 what the focus of this podcast is. You know, we're going to take the Climate change is bullshit approach. And then we're going to talk about the impact. Obviously, if you believe in it, then the impact will be higher and we'll leave that for another podcast, right? So let's get started. The climate change story that I want to tell you, it starts with a company and the company is a credit rating. It's a risk analysis company. They're called Moody's. And if you remember, Taylor, this this company was the one that was partially to blame for the meltdown in 2008, right? Mm -hmm. So these assholes, they gave (laughs) A ratings, really. I mean, what they did was was so 
you know, th- these people should be basically quartered and shot in a in a in a town square. They gave A ratings to mortgage-backed securities that were filled with toxic single-family loans that were all in default, right? And we know, you know that crashed the real estate market. It kick-started the Great Recession. So basically, they were the villains, right? And as you can imagine, this company Moody's subsequently was beaten black and blue by every regulator, by Wall Street, for doing such a horrific job of rating mortgages. And so the big dudes, the C-level people at Moody's sat back and said, never again, never again are we going to be caught with our pants down, right? We screwed it up. We we are, you know, public enemy number one. We're going to do a better job, right? He's completely credit rating system. And when we're doing that, they started looking at future risks to investors. They said, what's the next 2008 that we need to know about, right? When they did that, their research department, this is a big company, right? So like thousands of people work at Moody's and there's a big department. The, the geeks in the research department were saying that the biggest risk that everyone was ignoring for the future was not mortgage-backed securities. It was climate change and its impact. So there we indicated that there was actually only one single company in the entire country, the whole country, that actually knew how to evaluate the impact of the destructive impact of climate change on real estate. A very tiny company that is, I think, going to become one of the best-known companies in the U.S. in the next 20 or 30 years. This company is called 427. Okay, You can Google them. Just type in 427 into Google and hit enter. They're, they're the first one that comes up. It's a small little company that was already working hard at work with the entire world's largest investors. Like, you know, we're not talking about billion, you know, because billion is just a small word word in in, in real estate. You know, I'm, my, my portfolio, I'm a tiny guy. You know, my portfolio is about to hit half a billion, right? So billion is no big deal. We're talking about people in age 100 billion or trillion dollar portfolios, right? So that's a thousand billion. So these big dudes, these asset managers, these commercial banks, these government agencies like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac deal in trillions, right? And these people's job is to look 10 years into the future. That's what they get paid millions of dollars to do, to look into the future and and make sure that they don't screw up. So this company was already hard at work with all these people in the background with nobody paying any attention. So guess what Moody's did? Moody said, we don't know anything about this. Our, our people are telling us this is the biggest damn risk to real estate in the next 20 years. Instead of learning, why don't we go and buy this company, right? So they go out, they buy 427. And they start learning about the climate risk to real estate, which was like their primary focus was real estate, and then other types of businesses. Because, you know, obviously, real estate is one type of business. There's risk to a lots of other businesses, especially tourism, those sorts of things. And they started learning more. And what they discovered was just mind-boggling, right? 427 was tracking extreme climate events in the U.S., not just flooding. They were looking at everything. They were looking at stuff like flooding, extreme heat, wildfires, droughts, hurricanes, typhoons, tidal flooding, right? Typhoons are not in the U.S., but 427 looks at this worldwide. They don't just look at the U.S. The U.S. is their biggest market, but they're looking at how typhoons are impacting land in Hong Kong, which is 10 times more expensive than the land in Miami, right? Started to do something interesting. Instead of just studying it as a climate do-gooder thing, they started tracking the losses from these events, right? How much is a dollar loss that's happening? And those dollar numbers were massive. Nobody in their right mind has ever thought that $80 billion a year is already being lost, right? We are the, we're at the very beginning of this. We, if this was COVID, we are on March 4th of last year, mm-hmm. right? So imagine how few people in the United States were paying attention to COVID <laughs> on March 4th. And imagine that there wasn't one person in the entire country that didn't know about COVID by March 20th, right? March 4th, some people know they're, they're listening to it. It's not a big deal. March 20th, the U.S. economy is already completely shut down, right? 16 days. That's where we are with climate change, right? We're, we're on March 4th, maybe not even there. We're on March 1st of last year. And 
already the losses are $80 billion a year. That's a staggering number for one country to be losing. If you kind of, you know, collect the whole world together, we're looking at hundreds of billions of dollars, right? And they started reading headlines. This little company started reading headlines, you know, and investigating if anyone in the U.S. was paying attention to this. No one was, right? Less people were talking about $80 billion being lost then we're talking about a market crash, 2006, two years before the crash. I mean, there were actually less people talking about this than we're talking in 2006. So 2006 was, 2008 was actually a more predicted event than this $80 billion, which has already happened, not future losses. This is last year's loss, right? So it, no one's paying attention, right? <laughs> One single CEO in the US, his name's Chris Hawksmore. One... CEO is on record talking about assets in the U.S. being priced in a completely irresponsible way because people are not taking climate change into impact. One CEO, there's three million companies in this country, right? It's just <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling how no one's paying attention. So Moody's realizes all this stuff after they buy this company, and they're like, "We've got to fix this, or our investors are going to lose more money than they lost in 2008, probably over an extended period of time." Because the problem with, you know, with, with real estate, the problem was 2008 bad year, 2009 horrible year, 2010 bad year, 2011 recovery, and then onwards huge. Unfortunately, climate change is not like that. Every successive year is exponentially higher. Imagine a COVID without a vaccine. Imagine. The number of infections we'd get to in two years if we didn't get a vaccine, right? That's climate change because there's no vaccine, right? So they're thinking our investors, the, our projections are showing trillions of dollars in losses by the time we enter the 30s and the 40s, and we need to start looking at this. So what they did, what Moody's did was they said, okay, this company has this model, this super interesting model that 427 had built, and they started applying that to all the real estate in the United States, every kind of real estate, you know, retail and, and multifamily. So there's, there's this model, and it was a six-step model that basically ranks the kind of risk that a particular property is taking. And I briefly mentioned what those six steps are. So they rank it based on its risk of flooding, its risk of extreme heat, its risk of wildfire, its risk of droughts, its risk of hurricanes, and its risk of tidal flooding. You know, when you're on the shore, the tides will basically flood you. Once again, the model, you know, and, and you might say, well, you already said flooding once. Yes, but, you know, like Houston flooded, it's not on the shore, right? Mm -hmm. Flooding and tidal flooding are two separate instances. And often cities will flood that are nowhere near the sea, right? So I, I, those are two separate rankings. And then there's extreme heat, wildfire, droughts, hurricanes, right? Makes sense, right? All of that computes, right? So mm -hmm. six-step model. Then they started applying it to every single part of the U.S. And some really, really interesting things came up, right? So they realized that by just looking at today's data, and it's projected to get far, far worse if you believe in climate change. But remember, we're climate deniers in this podcast. So we can't believe in anything in the future, right? <laughs> we, but, you know, this is the climate change denial podcast by Taylor Lote, right? <laughs> so, but even if you look at today's data, if you look at today's data, there are already 104 million people with hurricane risk. There's 169 million people that are living in areas running out of water. And you might say, yeah, but I don't see 169 people running out of risk in, in water. Yes, but that today's data is still pointing you towards the immediate future in a very tangible way, nothing to do with climate change. So if none of those extremes happen, these people are still at risk, right? There's 92 million people that are living in areas that are facing extreme heat or extreme rainfall, because we are seeing some clear patterns that we can track, even if we don't believe in climate change. So, and they track these disasters and they realize that these disasters are actually like the coronavirus in one respect. They all appeared, if you look at the last 10 years, on an exponential growth path. You know how coronavirus, 10 cases, 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, 1 million. Now we're up to like hundreds of millions worldwide, right? So exponential growth from 10 to 100 billion. And when they look at that, they started to extrapolate these risks into the future and start to rate that risk of real estate in those areas. Now, at this point, when you start to extrapolate into the future, 
you have to say, eh, Neil, you know, this is a climate change denial podcast. Now mm-hmm. you're talking about, you know, climate change happening. What if I don't believe in climate change? My message is this. I'm a nobody. And unless you're managing a hundred billion dollar, you know, database or, or portfolio, you're a nobody, right? What's important is that 427 and Moody's found that the people managing the hundred billion and trillion dollar portfolios have their independent teams. They're called ESD. I think it's um, environmental, social, something else. These are departments within large companies called ESDs. Their EST teams universally have come to the conclusion that climate change is real. So now awesome, super smart deniers like us know it's not real. But these dudes, the idiots that are running these trillion dollar companies, they think it's real. So based on that, they have started taking actions. They have started changing the way that they're buying real estate, the way that they're looking at cap rates, the way that they're looking at their investment criteria, because guess what's happening? More and more companies are taking this 427 data, which now Moody's owns, and they're incorporating it, sticking it into their investment criteria. So who cares if climate change is real or not? These people are taking actions as if it is, right? And that's my message that your belief about climate change is really irrelevant to the damage that real estate is going to take because everyone who has a trillion bucks cares. Everyone who has a trillion bucks already believes it, right? So you look, for example, at Miami-Dade, right? This is not future. Miami-Dade's already lost nearly half a billion dollars in value in, in their real estate in 10 years' time because of already reduced real estate balance, not future, already reduced, right? But if you believe in climate change and seems like the Miami-Dade city, the city that's running the, 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 the that particular area, they believe in it, they are projecting a $35 billion decline in values in Miami-Dade. And they're wow. telling anybody who cares that Miami-Dade is going to lose $35 billion in real estate value, Right. And Southeast Florida, just one example. I mean, when Hurricane Sandy smashed into New York, it turned New York Public Library into a rather large swimming pool. It turned Wall Street into a water park, right? We chose to forget the colossal damage of $65 billion from one event, one hurricane in one part of the US, $65 billion, right? Try to remember pictures of Manhattan. I mean, submerged cars, overturned trucks, no power, no heat for weeks for millions of people. New York believes in climate change. New York is now moving forward with building a seawall that's going to cost $200 billion. And we plan that they're going to raise that money by massively increasing taxes on New Yorkers, including massive increases in property taxes. Once again, climate change may not be real, but those property tax increases are real because they're going to build that seawall, right? So, you know, Donald Trump is like, I should have built that wall. Maybe I shouldn't have built the one in Mexico. This, this sounds like a much better wall. I'm gonna the next time I run, I'm building the New York seawall, right? And then he's like, no, 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 I like Florida more. Never mind. All right. So, you know, you, you look at hey, it's easy to take shots at, at at the Donald, right? Yeah. So bottom line is things are already in motion. This $200 billion project is in motion. You're going to be caught with it if you're in New York real estate, because all of a sudden your property taxes are going to go. But that's one example, right? Instead of jogging your memory about New York, just read any newspaper or online site in America today, right? Texans are dying because of a record cold snap where parts of Texas hit zero degree Fahrenheit, millions without power and gas. for, And and they say that every single source of power in the most power rate state in the U.S. is compromised, right? Republican politicians are screaming about reforming Texas's power grid to bring it into the 20th century. The cost, tens of billions of dollars. Where will the money come from? Well, there's no state income tax, so it's likely that the money will come from property taxes, which are already one of the highest in the country. How will that affect your Texas investments, I wonder? And then there's California. California, right? Earlier this year, I, I felt like Elon Musk had actually transported me to Mars on, on a SpaceX shuttle. The sky was deep red. There was thick gray ash falling. Every door was shut, not because of COVID, but because a significant portion of the entire state was on fire, right? In fact, in California, the six largest wildfires in history, the six largest in history were all in 2020, right? Wow. Imagine the top six quarterbacks of all time, 
Brady, Manning, Montana, Favre, Elway, everybody, all breaking, they're throwing records all in the same year, right? Imagine how ridiculously bizarre that would be. Well, as ridiculously bizarre as California's wildfire season in 2020. Get my point, right? 10,000 homes, commercial buildings burned down, tens of billions in losses, inevitably huge insurance hikes. By one conservative estimate, the wildfires will double again from their 2020 level in just five years and wow. quadruple in 11 years. I wonder what the impact of California's cap rates would be if we burned 40,000 homes and businesses down in a year. Devastating, right? And it's not just damages from the wildfires. California, Oregon, and Washington, these are the three states that have the largest number of ski resorts at risk. Ski resorts, super expensive real estate, right? Taylor knows he, he's got like six or seven of these homes in these ski resorts. So watch <laughs> out, Taylor. So, but, but imagine imagine that you're an investor in real estate in a West Coast ski resort. Let's, let's say Soda Springs in California. And you start noticing that the ski session starts a day later on average each year. Mm -hmm. And people have been noting this since the 1980s, right? So the, this is where it becomes hard to be a climate change denier because you go back and look at when the ski skiing season started in Soda Springs in 1980. And you look at it now and you're like, what the heck is happening here, right? So each year it ends a day earlier and starts a day later. So you get curious and you start researching future predictions about Soda Springs and you discover to your shock that projections actually show that Soda Springs won't be a ski resort in the future, right? It's going to take a couple of decades, but within the next 10 to 15 years, the ski season is going to be so short that no ski operator could actually make money. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be forced to shut shop. You know, would that make you think about moving your fancy homes there, Taylor? You know? I mean, and if everyone did it, wouldn't some of these ski resorts look like, you know, abandoned mining towns in 20 years? Think about that, right? This is happening. It's researchable. It takes 15 minutes on Google to figure out what the impact on these ski resorts are, right? And, you know, at this point, people are like, yeah, but Neil, these impacts are years in the future, right? Five years, 10 years away. Who gives a shit? I'm going to worry about it 10 years from now, right? Wrong. Because of Moody's. I mean, these guys are project, you know, plugging in their future projections of climate-related losses into their ratings, right? And building risk scorecards that they're giving to Blackstone. They're giving to all of these big guys. And when they did that, it wasn't just the real estate buyers. The insurance industry started to wake up and spell the risk, right? The insurance industry started to hike their insurance premiums left and right. Once again, who talks? Don't worry about the future. Have you noticed that insurance goes up 10% every freaking year? 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 10, 10, 10, right? And then the apartment industry took notice. They started screaming at insurance companies. They started crying foul, like people like us, right? And this huge human cry has started to force the insurance industry to move away from their one-size-fits-all insurance model, right? More and more insurance are now saying, look, if Miami is going to get flooded every other year, which it does, we cannot penalize Oklahoma apartments. Mm -hmm. If Northern California is going to be on fire every year, should San Diego be paying so much more in insurance? So it's not fair. So insurance companies have now started to buy, guess what they're doing? They're buying climate change data from Moody's and are now developing city-by-city city and state-by-state state models for insurance based on climate risk, right? We're moving towards a future where insurance in Miami, a city that's very high in risk ratings, is going to be 10 times the insurance in Austin, a city that's rated very low in climate risk, right? This information alone should convince you that you as a syndicator, you as a multifamily buyer, you've got to learn more about climate change risk. The example I gave you is not exaggerated. It's possible that Miami could have 10x the insurance that Austin does. How could you not know this if you're taking other people's money, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, massive insurance hikes, really bad for business. You know what's worse? City downgrades. Moody's and SMP Global are now using climate risk to downgrade entire cities, entire cities, right? We haven't seen any states downgraded yet, but Florida and California had better watch out, right? You can see that cities as big as New Orleans were downgraded from a medium grade BBB plus down to a B, which in Moody's words is considered speculative, you know, subject to high credit risk. So they've downgraded New Orleans because of climate. 
right? So what happens when a city gets downgraded? Well, the city's ability to borrow money goes down. Borrowers are skittish. They charge much higher interest rates. That prevents the city from rebuilding their infrastructure after a devastating climate change event like Katarina. And that makes people leave, which creates a destructive spiral from which the city may never recover. And if you are investing in a city like this, Taylor, you may never recover, right? So think about that, right? And you know what's much worse than city downgrades? An end to the 30-year mortgage, Ah. right? So New York Times is talking about the fact that the 30-year residential mortgage is considered to be an American institution. Americans have come to believe that the 30-year mortgages are right. It's like something that Jefferson wrote into the Constitution. Well, (laughs) the the truth is that the only reason that the 30-year mortgage exists is that lenders believe that the homes being financed will be worth more 30 years from now. So what happens if the lenders start losing that belief, right? What happens? That would be disastrous. If lenders felt that 30 years from today, half a million homes in the US would be flooded each year, would they actually provide a 30-year loan? Would they provide a loan to ski resorts with no snowpack in 30 years? Would they do it for cities that are projected to be hit by Category 5 hurricanes year after year, 30 years from now? I mean, step back and think about it. Who cares whether climate change is real or not if they're going to base everything on this model, which shows massive hits? What bank would be crazy enough to offer a 30-year loan on a property that's almost guaranteed to be unlivable in 30 years? So right now, today, in virtual conferences around the United States, members of mortgage banking associations are huddling together around their iPads and making lists of cities that will switch to 20-year mortgages or 15-year mortgages. Imagine the catastrophic impact to home prices in those cities. The residents are already battered by ever larger climate tragedies every year, and now their homes are falling in value. Would they be potentially inclined to move to areas that have no climate change impact? And wouldn't those areas, here's a good part, wouldn't those areas become the new American gold rush, right? Areas that have no known climate change impact. And as this accelerates over the next five and 10 years, and everyone starts to talk about this, more and more investors will, will ask the inevitable question, what area and what cities in America have the lowest climate change risk? Just like today, people basically talk about cap rates and which city has the lowest cap rate, which city has the highest growth. People are going to say which city has the lowest climate change risk, right? So those are some of the things. And there's a couple other things. If you have time, I think we have a few more minutes. I want to I point this out. There are yes. actually worse things happening today, Taylor, than city-level downgrades, like increasing cap rates. I mean, let's be honest, people like me and you, we don't set cap rates anywhere in the US. The people that set cap rates are the ones with the $100 billion portfolios, the big movers, the big shakers, like BlackRock. BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world with a $24 billion real estate portfolio that they're doubling over the next five years. So just their real estate is $48 billion. Their total assets are a trillion dollars. And guess what BlackRock is saying now? Go to their website. It's openly saying, they're saying, Climate risk is now central to our asset selection process, our entire strategy of investment in real estate and other areas. Climate change is central. And they're saying that about a $7,000 billion portfolio, $7,000 billion, right? And when they're applying climate change risk, it's forcing BlackRock to slow down or stop investing in areas with high climate change risk. And they're not stopping there. They're not stopping there. Because they believe in climate change, they're using their massive political influence to force state and local governments to take action against climate change. And when they see states and cities that are not doing anything, they're actually voting against them with their wallet, their $7,000 billion wallet, right? This is creating winners and losers at a scale where we could see certain states and cities go half a cap up over the next 15 years and others go down half a cap, right? You know that half a cap swing up and down. These are humongous numbers, right? Makes it ridiculous, ridiculous amount of money for real estate investors if you're in the right place. And you're going to lose a ridiculous amount of money if you're in the wrong place, right? So bottom line is that people are keep thinking this is in the future, right? If you thought that climate change has not already forced the market to offer discounts, you'd be wrong. 
Again, parts of major cities, and here are three examples, Miami, San Francisco, Boston, also New York and Tampa, so that's five cities, are now seeing discounts. These are parts of cities, not entire cities, are see, already seeing discounts of 7% for properties that have sea level rights exposure, so tidal flooding, right? So sea level right exposure. Remember that this discount, it's 7% today, it was 0% 10 years ago, right? So mm -hmm. it's entirely reasonable to speculate that it's going to go from 7 to 15% in the next five to seven years. A 15% discount is the difference between a great deal and a horrible shit turn. I mean, just <laughs> that's what 15% is. It's huge, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to take a look at what is happening and know which cities are basically being discounted by big dudes like BlackRock, right? So, I mean, to summarize this, you know, you simply, it doesn't matter if you believe in climate change. It's going to hurt you either way, right? This is a train that has left the station because the people who set ratings like Moody's and the people who set cap rates like BlackRock, they believe it. They believe it. So do the lenders who are figuring out whether the 30-year mortgage needs to go. Insurance providers factoring in climate change, increasingly punishing investors that invest in high climate risk areas. Cities have figured out they need to fight climate change with sea levels, new dams, new power stations, and they're going to charge real estate investors for those investments. Bottom line, this is a huge deal, much bigger than the coronavirus, much bigger. But, and the impact of it, A, it lasts for decades, and B, every year the impact is higher than the year before, right? So no vaccine, right? So what can you do? Well, you've got to arm yourself with knowledge. And I, I don't offer any immediate solutions to this, but I'm going to offer an invitation to your listeners, Taylor. You know, my website is multifamilyu.com. This is something I worry about a great deal, right? So what I'm doing is I'm doing a longer two-part deep dive climate change series. And in that case, I'm going to actually dive into cities. I'm going to tell you which cities will see a gold rush, which ones will have an exodus. I'll give you tips on new opportunities. I'll give you new business models, new entire business models that are emerging from this crisis. And most importantly, I'm going to give you tips on how you can navigate this crisis safely for your profits, uh, for your, your profits, your properties, and, you know, come out looking both like a hero and a prophet. Because again, what you think about climate change doesn't matter. The people who matter already have decided that it, that climate change is real. So I think that this is a time for you to be that prophet, because what risk are you taking? We've noticed that people don't really change their mind easily. There's a lot of data on their side anyway. So I, I feel like this is a time for you as a real estate influencer to be bringing this up and be first in your community because you're always going to be first in your community if you're listening to this and start talking with your investors. Now, this may not win you investors today just yet. They're going to listen to you if you you know use some of the content of this podcast, feel free. As you do this a few times, they're going to start paying attention because every month, some major headline somewhere comes out and these headlines are clearly accelerating. There's 10 times as many climate change headlines today as there were 10 years ago. And if you if that trend continues, there's going to be a lot more headlines. As you already know, the liberal media believes in climate change, right? They completely believe in climate change. So anytime they see a horrible, you know, headline about, you know, climate change, they're going to throw it up there, right? CNN's, you know, particularly guilty of this. So when you start talking with your investors about it, I think the most important thing it does is over time, it puts you into a trusted position. And initially, there's going to be skepticism. But I can tell you, over the next few years, as a skepticism sort of wanes away and people realize, even if it's not real, we're going to be affected anyway. I think you're going to come out looking like a hero. I think you're going to come out as somebody who's like, yeah, Taylor was talking about this like four years ago when nobody believed this stuff. And I think that is the immediate takeaway to really start talking with the, the, your communities about this. And you might say, you know, Neil, why don't you just tell me which cities are going to benefit? The answer is, guys, this is still developing. I'm still learning. I'm still picking this up. I'm, I'm doing my research. It takes a while to figure out the winners and losers. This is not like the real estate trends presentation that I do, where I just give you a list of, you know, here's top cities in the U.S. Idaho Falls is the best in the U.S., that sort of thing. It's not that simple because there's a lot of variables. I can tell you that I'll give you a general feel and I'll dive deeper later. The Pacific Northwest is the safest part of the U.S. for climate change because they have loads of water, no hurricanes, 
no earthquakes, and they have a huge amount of foliage. So when you have green cover, the ground doesn't parch and dry up, right? So that green cover basically protects you from the sun's rays, and they have in, enormous canopy, and that really helps them. So there's no doubt in my mind that the Pacific Northwest is going to be a winner here. I think California, Florida, we talked about that, are kind of big losers uh, in this. I mean, we've, we've seen how Los Angeles is basically turning into a desert. I mean, there's just, I don't know if you live in LA, but every year is just hotter and hotter, and it kind of feels the air feels ridiculously dry and allergy levels are going insane. Northern California is still okay. But when I say Northern California, I don't mean North California. I mean, there's there's these places like Santa Rosa are going to keep burning down and you may not even be able to insure stuff. But the San Francisco Bay Area seems to be in a good place for climate change. So that's a, that's a good market to invest in, very expensive. So you may want to look at you know places like Oregon. I mean, South Central Oregon is pretty inexpensive. There's lots of great areas there, plenty of water. They're not going to run out of anything that we can't. So they've got some very you know high scores, and and you're gonna you've already started seeing a humongous amount of money flow into Oregon, and some of that money is highly influenced by the climate change benefits. I think some of the big cities to watch for that that are in potential dangers with potential solutions are Phoenix. You know, Phoenix very dry. Once you know you get to the point where 100 days a year Phoenix is over 115 degrees. I question whether everyone that lives in Phoenix today will want to keep living in a place that's 115 degrees 100 days a year. Right now, it's more like 20 or 30 days. It's not such a big deal. But um, Phoenix is now getting to the point where very often, I mean, you see asphalt melting and, you know, cars sinking and all that kind of crazy shit happening. Just accelerates, right? Just read how many days of 110 degrees or higher Phoenix had in 2020. You know, the preview is it's a number that's twice as high as any number ever recorded. Wow. Right? Twice as high, not 10%, not 20%, 2x. California burned down 6x of the forests, you know, so it it crushed the previous record by 6x. So things are moving, not at 5 and 10% increments, but some are doubling and very rapidly. So that's why I think that this is something that more and more people are going to look at. So I gave you some example. I think the Pacific Northwest certainly want to look at. Another city, interestingly enough, is Austin. So most people think about Texas, you know, they think dry, desert, flat, blah, blah, blah. And the truth is you really haven't spent enough time driving out of the major (laughs) cities in Texas. So if, for example, you drive out of Austin and you drive due west in about 50 miles, you're going to be in the Fredericksburg metro, right? So Fredericksburg is like the Napa Valley of Texas. There's 58 wineries. There's a lot of tree cover. There's a lot of lush ground. The temperature drops by about 10 degrees. That area, I think, is really is, is set up to do really well. Austin is set up to do well. San Antonio, a little bit less, might run into water issues. But some of these are resolvable. Texas is a rich state. Water problems can be resolved in many different ways, cashment areas, investments. It still means that you know property taxes in Texas will have to go up because Texas doesn't charge sales tax. So it has to get that money from somewhere. So they're probably going to you know, increase your property taxes so they can build cashment reserves. So I think Texas's problems are more solvable. Maybe not Houston's. Houston's got you know hurricane issues. I really don't see the hurricanes hitting San Antonio, Austin. It's too far. Um, so to me, I from what I can see, the safest place in Texas is really Austin and Dallas. And you're going to see a very large amount of investment flow into Fredericksburg. So that is my number one tip. If there was a place that is going to benefit from climate change in the United States, it's Fredericksburg, Texas. <laughs> if you don't know Fredericksburg, it's a very affluent area. There's these mega million mansions two miles outside the city, literally $20 million mansions. I mean, nothing sells for $20 million in Texas, right? I mean, you know, $20 million is something you hear about California, right? But there's $20 million mansions two miles from Fredericksburg the, because the area is very lush. It's very beautiful, you know, hilly. It's not flat like the rest of Texas. And it's 80 minutes from Austin and it's 65 minutes from San Antonio. So, and that area has plenty of water. So I think that that area is going to see an explosion. It becomes the Napa Valley over the next 10 years as money starts moving from other places in there. 
And then you're going to see a bunch of Napa Valleys emerge in Oregon and also in uh, in Washington State. There's there's a lot of great places in Washington State. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of natural you know uh, foliage. I think those two states are going to benefit. So is Northeast Idaho, like Coeur d'Alene, uh, Boise. I think these places are going to do phenomenally well in the next 20 years. So you're going to see some batshit crazy low cap rates in these markets over the next 10 or 15 years. That stuff that no one could possibly project because they would have no previous data to base those batshit crazy cap rates on, right? <laughs> but this is a completely, you know, there's no historical you know, data for, for these kinds of cap rates. So I think we're going to see some, some stuff happen. The one last thing I want to mention is this. I, speaking logically, I didn't support Trump's wall, right? Because a lot of it, like every politician, you know, there's, there, it's populist. But I am absolutely 100% ready to support a wall along our southern border, even higher and more expensive than the wall that was being built. Because the largest impact of climate change in the world is Central America. Entire portions of Central America will become unlivable in the next 20 years. Portions of Guatemala, portions of Panama, portions of Mexico will turn into an arid desert. This has happened thousands of times in the world. The Sahara is much larger today than it used to be, you know, three, four hundred years ago, right? Places change with or without climate change. The climate is always changing, whether we cause it or not. So regardless of whether you believe it or not, the, the, the greatest human tragedy of all time will play out over the next 25 years in Central America, where millions will die because they simply can't grow food. Unfortunately, it's likely that they will come our way. So border towns in the U.S., no matter how many walls you build, are going to be flooded with immigrants, absolutely flooded, because they will dig tunnels, they will take all kinds of crazy risks, they will come across the rivers. You know, you can't really build fences on rivers, right? So they'll come in. So you will see a very significant flooding along the, you know, New Mexico border and the Texan border in the coming in the coming 10 years, and it will turn into this thing that everyone in the world knows about. So for those that want to know about this, read about this. It is already happening, right? There's a lot of nonsense in the media about why there's more immigrants coming. Oh, well, Biden got elected. There's more coming. They have no food. They don't give a shit who's in charge of the US, right? They simply want to be fed. And as more and more portions of Central America turn into a desert, more and more will come their way. Because if your only choice is go to America or die, you don't care how many how tall that wall is. You're going to try anyway, right? So that, I think, is the one piece of this that is very dangerous, that our country could be overrun with tens of millions of immigrants over the next 10 years. So I support the wall, but I think we need drones. I think we need a, a policing force. I think we need everything that we can give it to prevent a border that basically becomes non-existent. Mm -hmm. So if there's one thing I want you to read about climate change, it's what's happening in Central America. It's absolutely stunning and devastating that you can't read about this stuff on CNN or Fox News. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i going to take a little more convincing on that, but I don't want to editorialize or, or get into it. And, and I certainly appreciate you uh, joining us today and, and talking about and more generally talking about this topic because you're right. There's very little acceptance of climate change within the United States in particular. And I think if you had given a very similar presentation or the same presentation using the same language to you know, folks in Europe, when you kept saying, do you believe in whether people believe in climate change, they'd look at you have like you have six heads. I mean, it's, there's not a believe it's it's happening, but I'm. I appreciate that you present the argument irrespective as to whether or not somebody, quote, you know, believes in climate change, even though I hate that term. I'll, I'll use it in this case. It doesn't matter. Gravity doesn't care whether you believe in it. And neither does uh, do the forces of climate. But, you know, once again, I, I really appreciate you talking about this topic. And if folks want to find they want to get in touch with you, if they want to see the full presentation, it's going to be at multifamilyu.com. That's right. Um, and I, I think that what we're going to do is we're going to build a section of the website. It'll be at multifamilyu.com slash climate. And we'll update it each year with cities that are either going in the right direction because they're making the necessary investments 
Like Phoenix looks like they're going to actually make investments into buying water from Oregon, right? Kind of building a pipeline, wow. which I think will, you know, it's an expensive thing, but I think it'll fix their problem. And and also they need electricity because at 115 degrees, you're using an incredible <laughs> amount of, you know, air conditioning. So I think that both of those things we will be highlighting at multifamilyu.com slash climate. Great. Well, once again, I love it. I think it's very important. And, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't given my own uh, sense on this, but I'm very much a, if you will, believer. I, I, I don't eat meat. I drive a hybrid. I'm all in. But I'm, I'm glad that you present the argument to folks that consider this themselves skeptical. Yeah. It doesn't matter. The big guys are all in. And once again, thank you for joining us. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.